Welcome to We Got Goals, a podcast by asweatlife.com on which we talk to experts about the most pressing topics in health and wellness. I'm Kristen Guile, Chief Content Officer, and today kicks off a new topic, the environment. I had a startling realization today that the tradition of Earth Month is actually not that much older than I am. According to the Smithsonian Magazine, Earth Month's roots, pun intended, come from an environmental crisis at the beginning of 1969, a major oil spill along the Santa Barbara coastline that led to roughly 3 million gallons of oil spreading across 35 miles. It's hard to properly communicate the magnitude of this environmental disaster today, but to those who saw it, they knew instantly that it was going to be a life-changing moment in the environmental movement. In fact, in January 1970, the New York Times' environmental correspondent, Gladwin Hill, called it the ecological shot heard around the world. Then, in the spring of 1970, Gaylord Nelson, a politician from Wisconsin, came up with the idea of Earth Day, as it would later be called, as a national day of learning. Strategically set in April, around spring break and finals, Earth Day relied heavily on students and youth to lead the movement. So yes, Greta Thunberg had predecessors. Facing political pressure from the rise of environmental activism, President Richard Nixon founded the Environmental Protection Agency at the end of 1970. The Clean Water Act passed a couple of years later, and by the end of the decade, media coverage about environmental issues had quadrupled. There's obviously a lot more, but in the interest of time, I'll stop my history lesson there in order to focus on today. Climate change is one of the major ongoing traumatic events facing our population. Global warming is leading to catastrophic storms. Deforestation is forcing animals and insects out of their national habitats and leading to a loss of biodiversity. An over-reliance on fossil fuels is increasing air pollution, which in turn increases our risk of respiratory diseases. It is a lot to say the least. And to be honest, I feel a little daunted taking on this topic because let's make this clear, I am far from an expert on environmental policies and I am not a model of sustainability. But that's exactly why I'm so excited to welcome the guest that you'll hear from today, Azori Zoe Paknod, the founder of Goldune. Goldune is a curated online marketplace that focuses on sustainable, eco-friendly brands that, as Azora Zoe puts it, make sustainability less beige. After a multi-role tenure at Food52, working in all things home, kitchen, and food, Azora Zoe founded Goldune in late 2020. Besides making sustainability less granola, Azora Zoe is a big fan of bread and gluten in all of its forms, a collector of first and second edition Nancy Drew books, and a terrible but enthusiastic surfer. One of Gold Dune's core tenets is that sustainability is a spectrum, and we can't let the shame of wondering if we're doing the right thing stop us from making the best choice in the moment. In this episode, you'll hear Azora Zoe share how Gold Dune helps consumers make a better choice when shopping, what standards they look for when vetting products for the site, and her perspective on greenwashing. Don't worry, we'll define it in the episode if you don't know what it is. To end on a lighter note, we finish with a fun little roundup of Azora Zoe's favorite health and wellness adjacent products on Gold Dune. So make sure you have their website pulled up so you're ready to browse. And now let's get to the interview. Welcome to We Got Goals, a podcast by asweatlife.com. 
I'm Kristen Guile. I'm the Chief Content Officer of A Sweat Life. And this month on the podcast, you are being treated to a lot of talks about sustainability, the environment, climate change, policies that we should know about, all of the things that you would come to associate with Earth Month. And with us today, kicking it off, we have Azora Zoe Paknod. She is the founder of Gold Dune, which is an e-commerce brand that is making sustainability less beige. After several years at company Food 52, where she worked on home, kitchen, and food, she founded Gold Dune in 2020 after frustrations that she felt trying to shop sustainably. She felt like the there was a lot of beige, a lot of granola, all or nothing narratives that she was encountering in the sustainability world. So with that, Azora Zoe found herself wanting to create a resource for sustainable living that was just as colorful, joyful, delightful, and appealing as its less earth-friendly counterparts. And she also wanted to create a shame-free, judgment-free, inclusive place for folks of all shapes and sizes, incomes, and identities so that everyone could feel comfortable exploring sustainability. Welcome to the podcast, Azora Zoe. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, we first were introduced via email. I think we reached out a couple of years ago because we were excited about what Gold Dune was doing and we wanted to include you all in our gift guides. And I think you generously provided a uh, bamboo waffle robe that I actually need to look and see if it's still available because my <laughs> current bathrobe is dying a slow death that I refuse to acknowledge or <laughs> take part of. <laughs> Um, but it's been a couple of years since we've talked to you. So for the listeners who might not be familiar with you or Gold Dune, can you give us sort of your um, short bio, your spiel, tell us how you got here? Sure. I mean, you gave me a great bio or spiel, so I don't know if I have that much. <laughs> much a lot add. of it was taken from your own website. I'm not sure if you know this. <laughs> I was wondering if it sounded familiar, but uh, to be fair, your bio always sounds familiar because it's literally supposed to be the biography of you. Um Sure. No, happy to happy to share more about me or maybe sort of my road to getting into sustainability. Um, so you you mentioned, but before I started Gold Dune, I spent a long time at a company called Food 52 in sort of the home kitchen space. Uh, really interesting company, sort of a mix of content and commerce, hybrid media company and e-commerce company. Um, and it was amazing. It was, it was great great time to join that startup and go through, you know, all of these different sort of new experiences there and was super into home design, you know, in that chapter of my life where I was like, okay, live in New York city, finally kind of have a big girl apartment, excited to decorate it, you know, living alone for the first time, all those like exciting moments where you're like, I get to pick the color of the couch. Or like I get to pick where I hang the art and um, was really kind of getting into sustainability outside of work and was excited about it, curious about it. Um, you know, and at work was really focused on sort of like aspirational style, beautiful stuff, um, especially in the kitchen. But when I was shopping for home, I was getting kind of frustrated because I was feeling like there was sort of only, you know, non-sustainable stuff and then like really cardboardy looking stuff. I was like, okay, yeah. well, <laughs> ideally I'm in the in-between, right? Where like... <laughs> My home can look nice and be sustainable. And those two things aren't like constantly at odds. Um, but I couldn't find any of that. So I, I sort of like went down the rabbit hole. I ended up starting a newsletter that was mostly just for friends, friends of friends, coworkers. And every week I was like testing different products or trying out different things. I think in addition to like the cardboard problem that I was having where everything felt really beige and crunchy. On the other hand, I felt like there was a new quote unquote, like sustainable DTC brand every day that was launching. And there's no, obviously like there's no 
true definition of sustainability. It's an unregulated word, right? Especially in the marketing world. So um, whether or not those things were actually sustainable and like what that meant was a mystery to me and to most people. So I was having kind of a lot of fun both trying to find what I was looking for sustainably for my home, but also in my newsletter, like testing different products, ranking them, telling people what I thought. And obviously I never reached like critical acclaimed fame. This was like not that big of a newsletter, but over time people started sort of writing in friends, friends of friends being like, Hey, I'm looking for this thing. I can't find a sustainable version. Can you help me? Or, Hey, like, have you tried this countertop spray? Like, what do you think of Blue Land? Like, did you compare it to this other brand? Which did you like better? And um, I had a lot of fun with that. I never thought of it as anything other than like a fun hobby. And, you know, life went on, kept going to work, kept doing that on the side and on the weekends. And uh, eventually Food 52 went through an acquisition. I started thinking a little bit more about what was sort of the next chapter for me. And um, then 2020 hit and the pandemic hit. And I felt like all of those trends and things I'd been noticing and observing in the sustainability world really intensified and like the, the conversation sort of calcified overnight. And for the first time, we're having like a really public conversation about access and representation and equity and inclusivity. And I started thinking about that in the context of sustainability and like this kind of like the bubble I was in on Instagram and just online, right? Like the dominant narratives um, that were sort of shaping the conversation around sustainable living. And I felt like there were sort of two ends of the extreme. And on one hand, you had like this really hardcore eco-warrior type who like, you know, maybe had a composting toilet, maybe not, like didn't generate any trash ever, was like super, super attuned to the climate movement and, and you know, like never made any mistakes, right? And then on the opposite side of the spectrum, it felt like you had the really aspirational, like almost always a white influencer who's like super thin, everything in her house was white or beige. She never spilled and like owns like $900 hemp pants, slow living. And I just kept thinking about, I mean, it's 2020, right? Like most of us were struggling to put on hard pants, figuring out how you're going to pay the bills, like maybe dealing with a tough childcare situation, much less like, you know, hopefully not COVID, right? Or like actually dealing with illness. And everyone I know fell in between those two <laughs> extremes no one was going to start, like, no one was going to pick up the pitchfork and, like, take on an intense new lifestyle for the most part. Some people did, I guess, to be fair. But I, I kept thinking about all the people who were just struggling to get by, but who are, you know, at their core good people. And um, I don't think anyone wants to do bad by the environment for the most part. Most people want to do good, but maybe just haven't found their entry point or, you know, a part of the conversation that speaks to them or makes them feel included or represented yet. Um, so that was it for me. I, I sort of, I wanted to make that place. I wanted to make a place where I could find what I needed, where I could do so without compromising my budget, my lifestyle, my values, my aesthetic joy, <laughs> and also a place that, you know, talk to people regardless of where they were at. And it was okay to show up and be, you know, like imperfect in your curiosity or your practice of sustainable living. You did not have to be like fully baked from day one. And it was okay. It was okay if you try something and it didn't work and it didn't stick. You could try again. You could not. It's all up to you. Um, but that's me. I, I just sort of felt at the end of the day, if we want to get a bunch of people excited about making a huge lifestyle shift, the sustainability direction. Um, and that lifestyle shift is going to cost money and it's going to take time and it's going to be an adjustment. Why, why would we not try to make that shift feel easy and fun and like yes. sexy why would we focus on making it like right now it's very archaic, right? It's like sort of stuck in the aughts, which is 
definitely not gonna definitely not the stuff that starts a movement. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that rundown. I love how not to make a totally awful pun in the first 10 minutes of this podcast, but how (laughs) organic this all seemed to come from you. I mean, you were just naturally acting as this grand curator for your friend group and random internet strangers probably. (laughs) And it really grew out of something that came really naturally to you. And so I think that's really just like a nice little light to think of, because like you said, a lot of us are pretty intimidated by shopping Mm -hmm. sustainably and having that like personal touch point that like, yes, this product was vetted by someone was like fully explained with like the standards on the website of the end of life cycle that you go through. And just like having that personal touch point really makes a difference with shopping right now. And I think you're seeing that a lot with other influencers and shopping narratives. Like we just want someone to tell us kind of what, what to do and what feels right to us and how we can be empowered to like take that information and make a decision. Yeah. I feel like on our end, there were so many people telling everyone what to do as though like sustainable living was this one size fits all kind of like, not just look, but also just lifestyle. Right. And that feels so insane to me when you think about just the vastness of the world and how many people are in it and how absolutely different we all are. It feels insane to me that anyone would tell anyone else how to live. Like what? (laughs) Like I, who am I to tell someone how to be quote unquote sustainable? I have no idea what their life is like behind closed doors, what their family values are like, what their budget is like, how they actually spend their time. Like I'm not in a position. No one is to tell other people how to live. It's just crazy, right? Like no one person has all the answers. Um, Though so many people act like (laughs) I think for for me, it felt really important to make space for a lot of different options and optionality and to be like, hey, this is what what worked the best for us. Here are a few options. Um, And, you know, you come in and and test and try and experiment with what works for you. No judgment if something doesn't work for you or, you know, you want to switch to something else or you try, you know, a certain sustainable attribute, maybe slip up. It's it's, it's an evolution, not like a finite state or a one size fits all thing. Um, and I just feel like sustainability and honestly, so many other niches are overdue for that perspective shift, right? Like nobody's in any position to tell anyone else how to eat, how to dress, how to live. It's 100% subjective and like what feels good to you. So we're, we're sort of about like, here are the tools you pick. It's okay to mix and match. You should evolve. That makes perfect sense. And speaking of subjective, one of the things that you touched on in your, your intro was, that sustainable is not a one size fits all definition, or there's no, there's no standard, um, or there's no standard like term for what sustainable means. And it got me thinking about like what we saw on marketing labels for like food, you know, like Mm -hmm. what makes a food qualified organic, what makes a food qualified low fat. Are there any similar like labels or standards that do apply in the green industry that we should be aware of and be looking for as consumers? Or is it all like, it's all just marketing? Yeah. Sustainable is definitely an unregulated word. Honestly, like clean is also an unregulated word. Natural, not regulated by the FDA. Organic, of course, is. There's like a USDA organic certified process, right? That's that's like a submission process. There are definitely similar processes certain brands can go through on the sustainability side of things. Some I'm comfortable with or like would say to look for, others I, I wouldn't. Um, climate neutral and plastic neutral are two sort of more qualitative certifications you can get. Climate neutral implies that you're um, 
you are, I mean, it is exactly what it sounds like. You're climate neutral, you're carbon neutral. Um, you could also be certified climate neutral and be climate positive for what it's worth, where you actually draw down more carbon than you emit, which is great. Like always ideal, pretty hard to do, or actually just really capital intensive to do. Um, plastic neutral is maybe a little bit less impactful. It essentially means that for every piece of plastic you're putting out, you're removing the same quantity. So you're still putting out plastic. <laughs> the, the neutrality of it all is sort of interesting in that like neutral should really sort of be the bare minimum or the baseline. Um, so they're good things to look for, but I don't know that, I think that's sort of the starting point of the finish line. Um, and there are other certifications that, you know, are just nice stickers and like don't really mean that much or don't actually really have that much bearing on sustainability. I actually think that's like a very challenging <laughs> thing in this space and in others really like there's a lot of stamps and seals what do they mean which ones did you care about again it's subjective but I, I like to look for climate neutral for the most part and things that actually have to do with emissions and like land and energy use versus things that feel like a little fluffier or just feel like loosely value aligned like I don't I'm not necessarily always uh always stoked about like a a tree planted situation. Like that doesn't really tell me that much about right. what I need to know about sustainability. It just tells me, you know, like maybe you added a plugin to your Shopify store that made you look a little more sustainable. Like you yeah. need a little more juice, right? Yeah. <laughs> more info. Yeah. And you know, that brings me to one of the terms that I wanted to ask you about today is I've seen the word greenwashing thrown around mm -hmm. a lot and I'm sure I'll continue to see it during earth month in April. And as climate change continues to be such a big topic. So can you tell us, for our audience who might not know what greenwashing means, it seems like some of the things that you just said were examples of what brands might be doing to kind of draw your eye away from the things that you should be looking at. So what's the what's the download on that? Greenwashing is really just um, marketing something as sustainable when it may not actually be that way. At its like most simple level, I'm sure there's a better definition of greenwashing on the internet. But that's we like simple. <laughs> so no, that's you know, good. <laughs> some days that's all you get. Um, so I think a good example for me, like on our end, when we're betting products to sell on Goldoon or not sell on Goldoon, when someone says something is like recyclable, sorry, not something generally when someone says a product is sustainable because it's packaging is recyclable is when I'll kind of be sus, ding, ding. <laughs> um, because first of all, just because something is recyclable does not mean it gets recycled. Our recycling infrastructure in the U S is really, really overwhelmed, which means, most of what you actually do intend to recycle or you put in a blue bin does not get recycled, right? It this is one of my favorite landfill. rants to go on. Uh, yeah. Especially, I live in a condo building, like a high-rise condo building where we're supposed to sort all of our own recycling. I'm like, there's absolutely no way that 400 units of people are sorting their recycling properly. So so then what happens? Sorry, that's a personal problem <laughs> that I have. So. <laughs> Probably not. There are people at recycling facilities who do sort, which is the good news. There's actually, I went down a TikTok rabbit hole recently of like recycling facility bids and like sorting soda cans. It was kind of cool, but <laughs> it depends. Of course, it's so, it's so localized, right? Which is the complicated part. But, um, you know, just because a box can be recycled doesn't mean it will, right? And even if you send it to the right facility, they still may not have the resources to actually recycle it in the U.S., um, so that's one piece and just that alone is like sort of like not sustainable, right? <laughs> like, it, there's no bearing on sustainability because something could be recycled. That of course changes if we're talking about, um, something like a metal or we're talking about a container for another good. So like a good example of, you know, prioritizing for recyclability 
I, in my opinion, like when I'm looking at, you know, skincare or hand sanitizer, my preferred container would be aluminum over glass or plastic because aluminum is extra lightweight, not breakable, highly recyclable. That to me would be a sustainable material choice versus like a virgin plastic, but just marketing, you know, like just a regular product that ships in a cardboard box is sustainable because the box could in theory maybe be recycled. Feels to me like pretty common greenwashing. Um, That happens often. But there's a lot of like vague, vague marketing stuff out there. It's pretty hard to navigate and I get to navigate it for a living. And I will say that it's like, it's not easy. I don't envy, I don't envy folks who are trying to figure that out on the fly. It's like why we do what we do, right? Because there are so many people who are sort of overwhelmed by that process. So speaking of what it's like to be in the gold dune, you know, test facility or the, the ratings <laughs> committee, what, however it is that you all decide what to put on your website, what what sort of things are your standards? I know you probably have a full-on resource on your website, but give us the the audio version of when something makes the cut, it's hit which benchmarks for you all. No, I'm glad you asked. We don't really have anything on our website. We're working on it, but we're actually like a year-ish old. So we're... we're I'm putting a lot on you guys, I know. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. I just mean to say we're we're trying to like, you know, update our website, build out the list, all those things, but a tiny team. So it takes longer than I'd like, but um, we, so it's, it's complicated. Like I think people really, I, I get that question a lot. People really want like a checklist or a simple transferable, you know, list of bullet points that they can like drop into their own lives. Um, sorry to say, no, it doesn't exist. <laughs> we vet everything from like shoe insoles to duvet inserts to like, coffee beans so yeah the standards are pretty different um we have a tiny team who like really does a lot of holistic vetting so we treat every category every product every subcategory differently there are different concerns obviously when you're dealing with you know those three very different products i just mentioned the coffee bean supply chain is really different from a duvet insert made from recycled plastic water bottles right so we treat those differently um and the best way to figure it out and to learn is just to ask people who make those things as many questions as we can the longer we do this the smarter we get i will say we're really focused on um to avoid greenwashing really focused on sort of like qualitative measurable kind of like sustainability core competencies or categories so for example water efficiency um sort of drought friendliness so does a product help you save water, reduce water usage, or in its making, is the factory water efficient or using a closed loop water system or returning water cleaner than, you know, it entered the factory. That's sort of one example. Another would really be um, recycled and upcycled materials, sort of my favorite. There's obviously, in, in most cases, more than enough raw material on this earth. We really don't need to create more. So upcycling things that have been sent to landfill or that are, you know, dead stock or sitting somewhere consuming energy or resources or um, taking up space and and turning them into something versus sourcing new raw materials, sort of always my preference when it comes to sourcing. Um, If I could, everything would be recycled, (laughs) but we see more and more folks using recycled or upcycled components every day, which is awesome. And then another good example would be um, optimizing for compostability or biodegradability. So ideally, we really try to send nothing to landfill on our site. Um, there's still a few things that just because of infrastructure, you may need to send to landfill, but for the most part, um, focusing on things that do naturally biodegrade or compost and ideally in your home compost bin versus a municipal compost facility, because there's just such a lack of access to municipal compost facilities. Like if you ask any given person where their local one is, nobody knows. Right. And 
in many, many cities, most of our customers do live in metropolitan cities. You have even less access to be able to drive to one, right? You may live on foot. You may only have access to a bike, skateboard, who knows? Um, it's, it seems unlikely that you may Uber to your local municipal college It seems counterproductive a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it feels like something people aren't going to do. So we really, really try to not send people to a municipal compost facility if we don't have to. Um, and oftentimes, if something does need to get sent to one, we'll either find you, you know, the facility recycling or municipal compost for you, or um, we can send it to us with a shipping label and, and we'll take care of that part because that piece is, of course, such a headache and just like yet another barrier to entry to, to folks yeah. um, buying a sustainable thing. So those are just a few. There are probably, I think, about 11, 10 or 11 really sort of core sustainable categories or qualitative things that we shoot for. but. Um, those are our three of sort of the most common. And I love, I'm clicking around on your website right now. So if you see me not looking at you, that's why it's, it's a <laughs> good offended. use of my, my second monitor. But I, I think that, you know, what you're speaking to, how people wish there was a checklist. They wish there was like a very clear cut list of things that mark something sustainable or not sustainable. But you all say on your website, that sustainability is a spectrum. And to that end, I love this graphic of the sustainability spectrum on your product pages. You know, it gives a little point of reference on the getting better to super sustainable timeline, so to speak, um, that sort of helps you decide what you're comfortable with. And knowing that like on a baseline, at least these products are at least on the getting better stage of Mm -hmm. sustainability. I think that's a great idea. It makes it super approachable. Thank you. Yeah, I think... um... We launched that last Earth Month, so almost a year ago. And the goal is really, first of all, like we want to provide you all the info you want. It, I don't, I hate when people assume that like regular people are too dumb for sustainability facts or like we can't process them or understand them. We definitely can. But at the same time, obviously, we're living in like a total information dump, overload, chaos time period where like you're just constantly inundated with maybe more info or opinions or images than you can possibly digest in any given day. So depending on what mood you're in (laughs) or what kind of day you're having, we try to give you all the info. If you feel like you're having a research friendly day and you're like ready to look through it and you want to make that decision yourself. At the same time, if you're having a day where you're like, nope, literally can't today, like just need to get this chore done and move on to the next thing. um, The sustainability spectrum is a good way for us, I think, to be able to communicate how something is doing on the sustainability front, because we don't really see sustainability as a black or white, good or bad binary, but more of a spectrum with no sort of finite end or destination, right? We, we always have room for improvement. But if you're having one of those days where you're like, I can't possibly read about sourcing standards or like certifications, you can look and just get a quick read like, okay, is this doing super well on the sustainability front? Is there more to do, but it's sort of the best option out there? Great. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Um, that's the goal is sort of to, to meet that middle ground. So hopefully we, we still treat it with respect and nuance and don't, you know, we're not reductive, but, um, you get the immediate takeaway you might need because there's a a lot to read and a lot to do and a lot to, to stress about these days. And that hits on something unintentionally that I've been thinking about a lot this week too. And, uh, listeners will know that this is a past newsletter that I'm referring to now, but the newsletter this week in in our time uh, (laughs) that I'm writing for our website is all about decision fatigue and how the pandemic has reportedly like really exasperated um, the amount of effort it feels like it takes for people to make decisions, even like simple ones. My personal Mm -hmm. example was I had popcorn for dinner two nights last week because I, I couldn't 
you know, get the energy together to not only decide what I wanted to eat, but also, you know, get the ingredients and cook it. And um, apparently millennials are being more affected by this than most other age demographics. So I think you're hitting on something there too, with like, sometimes we have the capacity to to do the research and make the spreadsheet. And thanks to the pandemic, that capacity might be especially limited right now. So making those options available to everyone is, is really helpful, I think. Yeah. Switching gears. Uh, one mm-hmm. of the things that you also called out in your intro was that you realized there wasn't a ton of representation in the environmental industry, the the climate change um, movement. And that's a big focus for you all is to rectify that and to make sure that different different nationalities, ethnicities, races, sexes, genders are being represented through the, the business owners on your website. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about your commitment. And you guys are super transparent around the products that you sell and who makes them and where they come from. So why was that so important to you? Yeah, I think... So to clarify, there's there's actually an amazing amount of diversity in sort of the climate crisis activist, right. like grassroots movement world. Um, so much. It was sort of more in kind of the dominant narratives I was seeing as far as sustainable living goes. So sort of more of the like lifestyle-y content. Um, like you said, yes. More blog or Instagram adjacent. Because um, on, on the activist front, um, there are so many folks of like all different ages and walks of life who are involved. So even though in the media, oftentimes you'll see they get treated like a youth movement, right? But like you have people of, of all ages really speaking up um, and lending their, I'd say their talents or like their unique, you know, strengths in different ways. But uh, on sort of the representation side, part of that just felt visual to me, to be honest. I was looking around and I was like, okay, I'm seeing one type of person really reflected in like this sort of influencer sustainability bubble on Instagram. Um, not a great amount of diversity there. And there are, of course, a few creators who uh, like totally are crushing it, but there weren't many, right? And I, I don't think that's like a reflection of like lack of pipeline of brilliant creators or people who want to live sustainably or are living sustainably. Um, more so, I just felt like uh, we were sort of like stuck <laughs> culturally in that moment. Um, and I think for me, I... I'm, so I'm half white, but I also felt really sort of like not included or not welcome or not, it did not identify with a lot of what I was seeing. And I was thinking about, you know, being sort of from two different cultures and how color and texture and sort of my approach to home was not going to look like maybe like the whitewashed walls, beige, like catalog vibe I was seeing everywhere. <laughs> and that, that wasn't going to work for me, right? And in the same way, I think oftentimes like there's sort of a narrative around even like eating for climate or like a climatarian diet. Right. And like, um, I think the perception is oftentimes that like you have to go vegan, right. Or like that has to be a thing that you consider doing. Um, and even just that, that assumption doesn't make a lot of room for people of different cultures or people who, you know, access maybe like a diaspora or an immigrant heritage by eating foods that they can no longer have. Right. Like you think about food, or, or some of those like traditions as a, like a lifeline to a way of life that may no longer be there or a family that may no longer be there or a country you can't go to or has changed because of war. And it's sort of, that to me felt lost in the conversation and definitely was sort of another element of kind of like white privilege that was getting lost there. I was nobody was saying that um, because a lot of people who felt maybe represented in that design perspective or dominant narrative weren't experiencing what it was like to lose that, right? Um, so those are some of the things I was thinking about, and it was just purely like personally motivated. Um, 
when I was initially starting Gul'dun and it just felt like the very obvious right thing to do to try to make space for color, texture, different perspectives, different kinds of people. Um, that was what I was wanting. So it was, it was very selfish, um, not, not born out of some desire to like do massive good. Um, and I just think that's sort of the way we don't, we don't like sort of toot our horn too loud about that these days anymore. And sort of our attempts on the, the sourcing side, as far as diversity goes, just because that feels like the right thing to do period and not, um, you know, some sort of like, it, we, it feels icky to tokenize that or to make it feel like sort of a, uh, an attempt to get exciting press or, you know, the special gold stars or accolades when that's just like the way business should be done, right? Like good business is just simply to make room for more people, include more people at the table. And especially if those people are women and people of color and black and indigenous folks. Um, so that's the way we approach it. We don't, we really don't try to, um, you know, shout about it too much, except for when it feels especially relevant or important, or it feels like it's going to make room for more people at the table as far as, you know, access or representation in design or, you know, the products that we sell. Yeah, that makes total sense. And having heard that explanation from you, I can see now why, you know, it, it's on your website, it's listed. It's definitely seems to be something that you care about, but I have a better understanding now of why it's not like a pop-up banner on your homepage. You know, <laughs> look at us, look how we have 72% of brands helmed by women yeah. on our website. You know, that makes sense. Yeah, I thought I, there's a lot of listicles now. And like, in some ways, it's so amazing to get to like, to you know, shine a light on emerging brands that are founded by underrepresented founders. And I'll, I stick with that sort of underrepresented founders blanket. If we are going to do a collection, it'll be for underrepresented founders. But um, at the same time, there's something that sometimes feels a little transactional or tokenizing about it. Um, and a few times, I think I've been included in roundups from like, hey, I actually don't identify as that. Or like, hey, Goldoon is actually, you know, not an AAPI owned or led company, right? And it just sort of feels really thoughtless the way that people are sometimes approaching it these days. Yeah. Um, like I have some more time trying to get off of lists where we've been included, where we're not relevant. It's just like a little bizarre, right? You're like fighting yeah. to get off of a list to make space for someone who actually deserves a label. But in that sense, um, if, it's a weird time to be alive. So I definitely like all for better representation um, and a, a sustainable living movement that's actually inclusive and not just pretend inclusive. That's 100% what I'm after. But I'll also say tokenizing folks or um, treating this as some sort of transaction that gives us like a halo effect is really, really, really not what I want or not what we're about. Fair enough. Well, let's wrap up on a fun note. I asked you to come with a few products in our sort of genre of health and wellness uh, that you're obsessed with right now that are probably featured on Gold Dune's website. Um, so I feel like I should introduce a caveat right now that we're not suggesting shopping just for the sake of it, right? We're, <laughs> am I right? Tell me uh, I'm yes. doing it right. <laughs> um, I, I don't know how to do it right. I don't think any of us do. Um, there's no one right way. These are the things I'm loving. If that's interesting, that's interesting. <laughs> yes. And if you have a need for something, if you're not just buying it just to buy it, these could be good recommendations for you. Um, so with that in mind, what are a few things you're loving right now? What makes them so special? And why do you think we would love them too? Okay. So I'm trying to ground myself. This is airing in April, right? So I can reveal yes. a launch that hasn't yes. launched yet. Um, the first Wednesday of April, it will be out. 
the first Wednesday of April. Okay, hold on. I need to get my launch calendar. To I'm going to keep this in because this is this is good audio I material. Okay, I can't. It, it should be there. Um, when should now we? we can't be late. Okay, so that's a pressure. That's good. <laughs> I mean, we on do not the podcast. We can't <laughs> let our launch date slip. So when this, when you're listening to this, yesterday we will have launched um, a new brand. I'm so excited about that. I've been like waiting for for all my life um this brand called cartel k-a-r-t-e-l-l but they're like a legacy brand in the home and design space they were founded in 1949 they really defined contemporary home design um in europe and beyond they're an italian brand but you would think sort of that like it's really fun but you would think that a, a legacy brand right could rest on its laurels after like 70 years in business and like literally changing the home and design world forever but um Instead, they've sort of dug deeper into innovating for the future and they've made really, really cool stuff out of really interesting upcycled and sustainable materials. So they're using everything from like, you know, paper packaging to auto parts <laughs> to make home furniture that looks like as good as or identical to the less sustainable stuff that they're famous for. Um so I'm obsessed with that. That launched yesterday in podcast years. <laughs> yes. In and somehow future and past time. Yes. And that's the, to me, Cartel and like this launch that we're doing with them and our partnership is so evocative of all of the reasons why I wanted to circle doing in the first place and like all the things I was looking for in my home that I can find, right? Like you can be thoughtful and you can be strategic and sustainable in your home decor choices and you can seek pleasure and joy in you know, decorating your home without feeling like that's at once at odds with sustainability, right? Like it's okay to nest. It's okay to enjoy that. It's okay to seek pleasure and find joy in the decoration process or picking out a color of something you love. Like that's okay. And that's legitimate self-expression and just finding more sustainable ways to do that or to offer you those experiences is sort of what really is fascinating to me. And it's not just that. On the more like sort of sustainability, uh, I mean, this is the sustainability side, but if we were to talk more of like an everyday thing and less of like, I bought a side table I'm excited about, which is what I did with Cartel. Um, Live your truth. Yeah, that's my truth. <laughs> that's my truth today. But one of the evergreen things, I've been testing this product for a really long time um, that I kind of fell in love with. And you're supposed to throw out a sponge like every three weeks for I think like optimal germ health vibes. I know it's kind of crazy. I'm a gross um, human being. No, most people are. Most people are. <laughs> <laughs> so I I had that like, ew, I'm keeping my sponge around way too long thing. Um, and I think about this all the time in the context of my parents who I lived with during the pandemic who loved a plastic sponge, like with the scrubby edges on it, but you know, like didn't want to throw it out because they were like, oh, I feel kind of bad about it, but like keeping it around for <laughs> way too long. So I met this founder who made these sponges that are single use. So you can use them once. You can use them more than once, but you're you're intended to be able to use them once and, you know, do like scrub a nasty pot. We've all done that. where like, you have a disgusting, crusty, you know, something and you have to like scrape the sauce out of it. That, that's <laughs> happening as soon as we get off this gross. podcast. Is I, I have a nasty pot to scrub that I've been when it's I, soaking. Yeah. It's very, it's a very important step <laughs> in the process. The pot has been soaking. Can't yeah. skip that. That's wellness, actually, is soaking the pot. <laughs> but I, I too have a pot that's soaking when I get home from work. But um, 
essentially the sponges are single use. So you can scrub them. They're like all scrubby material. They're actually made of loofah, which is like a gourd vegetable. That's yes. Naturally, I, yeah. We saw a loofah plant when we went to Miraval yeah. last fall. Yeah. And it is fucking wild looking. <laughs> it is. It's crazy, but it's a real biodegradable gourd. And so the sponge is made out of it and it's rough and scrubby and great. And you just get it wet underwater. It's like these tiny little thin sheets. They pop up and they become this big scrubby sponge. And you sponge, just, you know, clean out your like disgusting bowl. And then you can just compost the sponge and pull out a fresh one when you want to go like, you know, clean a glass right after. Because that's yeah. always the gross part, right? Is like you do something icky with your sponge and then you have to go like wash the rim of your cup or something. And you're like, oh, <laughs> gross. Oh. Like I should probably get a sponge. So yeah. I'm loving these. I just keep the little box on my counter. They pop up underwater and I can get rid of them when they get disgusting. Sometimes I keep them around for a long time, but other times I don't. But the good news is that if you have to throw away a sponge every few weeks or more often, you're, you're doing so in like the most low impact way possible. And I'm really obsessed. Oh, I love these. I'm definitely going to be ordering some of these once I shamefully throw out my regular sponges. (laughs) They're fun, right? It's so yeah, fun. they're I mean, super I love cool. Anything that pops up underwater, we have so many things like that launching soon. I feel like customers are also obsessed with them. TikTok is obsessed with things that expand underwater. Yeah, <laughs> it's very visually soothing. I love these too yeah. because you might experience this too living in New York. But I don't have in-unit laundry, so anytime mm-hmm. I see a kitchen or dining thing that's like reusable paper towels that you can throw in the wash, I'm like, well, I can't mm-hmm. always just throw it in the wash. So this feels like a nice little solution for um, people like me who aspire to one day have their own washing machine in unit. Do you have a, do you have a dishwasher in unit? Mm-hmm. Okay. The fun tip is that you can put those reusable paper towels in your dishwasher too. Okay. <laughs> I should have thought of that. Cause I, I wash my dog's dog leash in the dishwasher. I wash like random oh, stuff in there. Smart. So that, okay. That's a good tip. They don't I like that. publicize that, but I do know that from, from the inside. You just put them, if you have a top rack, you just put them there. They do stay wet, obviously, afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to dry them like on a dish rack or the counter, okay. um, but you can do that. It still makes sense that those are like not your preferred method, but if you have some or you're gifted some or you, know, you want to like dabble in the sponge cloth arts, dishwasher works. Okay. I'm so glad you told me that. Cause I, here I was like really thinking that was my barrier to being sustainable. I was like, well, <laughs> I can't wash my reusable paper towels that easily. I just <laughs> can't do it. Well, I mean, it's like, it's whatever is working for you. Right. Or whatever is making you feel like it's tenable and interesting. It's obviously mm-hmm. not going to work in the long term if you're like doing something at home and you're like, hey, this, this is much more inconvenient. <laughs> yes. Um, let's see, we are coming to the end of our time together. So let's have you plug one last thing that you're loving and then we will do our, our wrap up. Oh my God. I get one more thing. That's crazy. Okay. We're generous. Um, So generous. One thing that I think is really interesting that I feel like is kind of a sweat life adjacent, um, is sort of, I never really thought about, there's a few things you never really think about being sustainable, right? Like you just go about your life and you're sort of like at peace with the fact that these things don't seem, they seem inherently unsustainable. For me, one of those things was insoles for your shoes or your sneakers. I just sort of was like, yeah, that's like an orthotics situation. Like, (laughs) I don't know much about that. I'm leaving that alone. But uh, I found this brand called Fulton. They're on our site now, but they're essentially, um, I think climate neutral, if not climate positive insoles for your shoes. They're made mostly of cork, which is a fully biodegradable, regenerative material. But 
they shape the the shape of your foot after use and they make your shoes healthier, more comfortable for you to wear. Um, oh, cool. Shocking. Really changed my life. Really changed my, my sneaker game, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And, I've been having yeah. some like plantar fasciitis pain lately. And oh, I'm like, yeah. I know what the solution is. I just don't want to deal with it. You know? Same. Um, I also have that and hate it. <laughs> yeah. I, I keep a tennis ball under my desk for rolling out my, my feet and my dog every time is like, what are you doing? Are you about to kick this? <laughs> should I, should I go? Should yeah. I'll go. Life. Yeah. <laughs> um, so these look awesome. So cork is also antimicrobial, right? So it's fine if you're sweating and doesn't get like super stinky. I know that they're like cork yoga mats and bam or yeah. yoga blocks, that kind of stuff too. It, might be a popular um, material in the health and fitness world. Definitely. I've got a cork yoga mat, cork yoga blocks too. Love both. And we had a cork foam roller that people were going nuts over, but has, I think maybe sold out forever. Supply chain right now, some cork is a little hard. And also the cork we use for the most part is usually recycled or scrapped. So it's like pieces of another cork thing that have been ground up and reshaped or Mm -hmm. re-rolled into a foam roller or something like that. But um all great choices. If you're looking at definitely better choices than like a plastic based thing, for sure. Awesome. These are super cool. Um, Azora Zoe, you have been such a great guest today. This is your, your moment to tell us anything you want. Uh, where can we find you? Where can we find gold dune? Any exciting initiatives y'all have coming up for April? This is, this is your minute to do whatever you want. Oh my God. I wasn't prepared. Okay. I'm so excited. Thank you. Um, gold dune is spelled G O L D U N E. You can find us at golddune.com or at golddune.co on Instagram. Um, Earth Month is like a big month for us. It's kind of our Super Bowl. So if you're sustainability curious (laughs) or (laughs) considering being sustainability adjacent, or you're looking for maybe a less granola or a little bit, you know, sort of less shame and blame driven way to get curious or get involved, even if you don't feel like it's maybe your thing. Where your people, you can come find us at our website or on Instagram, or you can search Gold Dune on TikTok. Anywhere you, anywhere you are, we'll be there. Um, but it's been a delight. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. And I would just like to second that your Instagram is amazing. Like everything, all the content that you all put out on there is super helpful and like very actionable, and that it breaks down things really beautifully and simply. And so, plus one to that. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's exactly what we're going for. So it makes my day to hear it. (laughs) Well, thank you so much again for being on the podcast. We are looking forward for more to come and all those launches that you uh, were so kind to tell us about. Past Kristen hopes that future us is very happy (laughs) with how, how those launches all went. And thank you everyone for listening. We will be back next week with another episode of We Got Goals. 